Welcome back to another, uh, we'll say, a very special episode of Conduct Detrimental. We've teased it on social media. This is episode number 50. If you are listening to this, um, you can see that the special guest is no longer a surprise. It is the one, the only, Darren Ruvell, sports business, we'll say trailblazer, um, someone very special to myself and Dan. Uh, and if you listen to the any one of the other 49 episodes of Conduct Detrimental, usually you are blessed with the, uh, we'll say, the nice pipes of, of Dan Wallach. But because this is such a special episode, Dan's internet decided to uh, skits out on him, and he is appearing via phone. Uh, Dan, welcome to the podcast. Yes, welcome. Uh, I want to thank you, Dan, for being able to troubleshoot all this. Uh, this is a story into, in and of itself as to how we made this episode work. I mean, with someone like Darren Ravel, you don't want to keep him waiting too long. Definitely somehow, not. Yeah, my internet feed wasn't working. We kept him on hold for almost 20 minutes while we tried to troubleshoot this, and thankfully, he didn't bail on us. Thankfully not. Thankfully, I've watched my fair share of filibusters, so uh, I stalled as much as we could. Um, <laughs> normally, behind baseball, you know, Dan and I will pop on Zoom. You know, like last, you know, a couple weeks ago, we had Evan Drellick on. Totally seamless. You guys won't hear anything of it. Um, but this week, uh, Dan's internet was on the fritz. Uh, Darren popped on the Zoom. Uh, then Dan had to get off the Zoom, tried his phone. So um, right now, we'll just say that we have a very MacGyver situation. Dan's phone, Dan is on speaker next to my uh, computer. Um, so uh, let's just say it was a lot of fun. So um, with, with that being said, Darren uh, was on the podcast. We've been teasing this monster guest, um, Darren Ravel, who those who you know, don't know. Um, Darren, uh, you know, really created the sports business field. Very Someone very special to Dan and myself, um, as we are still kind of in this really even, you know, burgeoning field of sports law, which even though it's been around for years with guys like Michael McCann, Gabe Feldman, it's still kind of making its way. Um, and Darren Ravel helped really bring sports business to the forefront by really being a, a hustler, a grinder, and got his, you know, his, himself on the ESPN radar as a sports business reporter, as you guys will hear in the pod. We, we had a long conversation with Darren. He gave us a lot of good nuggets. But Darren, you know, kind of bet on himself, took a very low-paying job at ESPN. Um, you know, not spoiling anything. These are Darren's own words for about 40 grand. Um, and that was, you know, not, not so long ago. Um, and he bet on himself and said, you know what, this is a niche. I believe in it. I'll make it happen. He bounced around a couple different places, you know, just becoming bigger. Um, and now Darren's at a point, he has 2 million followers on Twitter. He's the guy when it comes to sports business. Dan, why don't, um, you know, I know you have a, a long history with, with Darren. He's the, you know, you're the reason you got him on the podcast. What's, what's your background with Dan? And maybe you can kind of fill the listeners in that don't know on a little bit of, of your history um, and, you know, how it intertwines with, with Darren's ascent as well. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Dan. Uh, well, listen, I didn't get into this field until after I turned 50 years old. I think it was 52 before I was quoted for the first time in any you know, newspaper or, or online article. My path into sports law really came through my years of experience as a uh, litigation attorney and an appellate lawyer. I was in the weeds uh, representing you know, private clients in state and federal courts all over the country. But at heart, you know, and my, you know, my passion has always been about sports. Yeah. I was never 
doing any sports related work. I never had one of those jobs that gave me a pathway into the industry. I was I was a I was a, a junior lawyer and eventually a partner at a law firm handling only you know commercial cases. And then right around 2012 2013, I began uh, to take a look with great interest at the rise of the possibility of legalized sports betting, and I began writing about that for an in-house law firm blog called Cause uh, on Gaming. It is no longer around, it is defunct, but that was my first taste of writing about the sports industry and using my, my background as a litigator and an appellate lawyer to kind of lend some insight into sports-related issues. And, you know, that kind of set me on my way. And one of the key takeaways from that is um, it wasn't networking that did it for me. It wasn't uh, making a dent on social media, but it was my impact in, in lending insight through scholarship and, you know, blog posting. Uh, I, was, I was essentially the legal and the unofficial legal analyst for the New Jersey sports betting case uh, from 2012 all the way through and including its conclusion in 2018. I think that's where I made my name, and, and that was a key pivot point for me. So what I learned was the writing really sets somebody apart. If you're looking to kind of separate yourself from the field and, and be noticed, one way to get noticed is through thought leadership and, and, and original scholarship and writing. So that, that was certainly very imperative. Another thing for some of the younger lawyers, bar associations, state bar associations, even national bar associations, and use their platform to do sports-related programming. Uh, you'd be surprised at how easy that is. And that might be one way to, to create and you know, make and, 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 and create long-lasting relationships within the sports industry. I know I can count uh, people like T uh, Ted Olson, Michael McCann, Gabe Feldman as three of the key people that I met through through you know uh, the American Bar Association. And when I played a pivotal role in planning a, a panel event around the legalization of sports betting. So I, I, I think there are different pathways into the profession and we each have a different story to tell so you know I, I had my unique way in and I know Dan uh, credit to you you're starting a lot earlier in life than I did so um, that's a good segue and I think you know we're obviously both lawyers we're huge sports fans what you didn't hear Dan say uh, Dan never worked really for a sports team or sports agency and all of a sudden Dan's sitting there uh, you know Dan uh, I'll brag for you because I know you're a modest guy you won't Dan's sitting there with 23,000 followers on Twitter, and he did it with grinding uh, and being really good and obsessive at what he does. So, you know, there, there are obviously going to be some people that are listening to this that are not lawyers, and we invite you. We, uh, for, for, uh, for purposes of the podcast, we're lawyers, but we just try to really bring a smart conversation to the table. And that's all Darren Ravel did once upon a time, really looking at sports through a business lens. That's how we look at it through legal. We, we make it fun, obviously, for sports fans and lawyers alike. You don't have to be uh, you know, there's an audience that watches Law & Order that does not have JDs. So um, as for my background, uh, I think I took more of a traditional route originally in sports. I worked for the New York Giants for on and off for four, four to five years during the Super Bowl run. Um, and then I uh, transitioned uh, when I was in law school to work for a baseball agency. So I had exactly what I wanted. Um, and then uh, it just kind of fell through my, my grasp. There's just not that many sports jobs that are out there. And so I really um, kind of unintentionally took a page from Dan's book. I just reinvented myself as this dynamite lawyer who was really tech savvy and just happened to know a lot about sports and, and almost to an obsessive point. Um, and as we get into a little bit with Darren, 
Uh, I've been writing. Um, you know, I, I write a lot uh, in legal context when technology kind of intersects, just, just interesting stuff, you know, not really maybe anything about sports, but I, I had the writing chops. I'd been writing for four or five years for very big publications. And uh, I saw a sports issue. I know, you know, a lot about sports. And I said, you know what, Kevin Durant, because he tore his Achilles and I, and it's, you know, at least questionable that the Warriors maybe forced him back to the court. Could he sue? And an Achilles injury is a career ending injury for, for a lot of basketball players. If your name's not Dominique Wilkins. Um, and I said, if it's a career ending injury, it's a nine figure lawsuit. It might even be a billion dollar lawsuit. So, um, you know, I looked around at the landscape, no one was talking about it. And I said, you know what, who better than myself to write about it. And, um, Darren Ravel is on this podcast uh, today because he's, he's been really instrumental in, in helping trailblaze a path for Dan. For me, and just like we get into, Darren will speak about, hustling and grinding. Um, I knew that Darren Ravel would be the guy to get this, my article on the map and help me start whatever ascent, or maybe open a door. I'd have to knock it through and show up. But um, I made the, the uh, harassing uh, attempts to get in touch with Darren. Uh, I ended up getting him. And uh, you know he agreed. At the end of the day, the content is king. He really liked the story. He retweeted it, and all of a sudden, my um, you know my stock my stock started to rise, and I started to get on on the radar of some really uh, you know interesting people in the sports industry. Um, so, with that being said, uh, that's just a little bit about us. If you're new to the podcast, and if you're old to the podcast, again, welcome back. Welcome back again. This special episode 50. So here's a little bit of the roadmap, um, and then uh, you know we'll turn it over to uh, to our special guest. Um, Darren's here. We just like you know you heard our paths. So you're going to hear all about Darren's path uh, at Northwestern to ESPN, to CNBC, back to ESPN, and then to the Action Network with Darren's new, new gig, uh, where he is kind of uh, at the epicenter of, of sports betting. Um, and then uh, we get Darren's take on this interesting kind of Under Armour, uh, UCLA, Cal, legal breach of contract issue that's still kind of brewing. Uh, and then really kind of the story of the week, and maybe the story for the next couple weeks, if not years, is kind of um, cancel culture within uh, team names. That's the Redskins, the Indians, and then teams like the Atlanta Braves, um, and then you could go down the list. Are the Kansas City Chiefs included? The Chicago Blackhawks? At what point does it end? And how does that affect their team values? Um, and then we really, we, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't speak to Dan about how team values are being affected by COVID and how a team like, you know, the New York Mets, that sale is being impacted by COVID as well. So Darren is really at the heart of sports business. We, we try to uh, carve out this dish of sports law, someone very special to obviously both of us. Um, you know, with that being said, uh, you know, again, we should probably just mention it. You might hear some technical difficulties. We had a, a little bit of issue with sound, um, but we got it rolling. We MacGyvered it. We got Dan on speaker. We had Darren on Zoom, and we made it work. Uh, as lawyers, sometimes you, you don't pick the facts of your case, but you just got to make it work. With that being said, Dan, do you have anything else to add before we turn it over to Darren? Yeah, I was, I was really interested in Darren's take on how COVID-19 will impact uh, sports franchise valuations and whether that will lead uh, to a, a rise or, or an increase in the number of transactions with current team owners looking to offload their franchises at bargain prices because they may be under some kind of financial pressure. And, you know, his answer, uh, I think, came as a surprise to me. And uh, it's towards the end of the podcast, but I think it's really insightful and it's a take that I haven't heard anybody bring to the fore yet. And, I, and, and, and it's really worth a listen. Well, with that being said, um, Dan, we will uh, turn it over to Mr. Darren Ravel. Welcome, Darren Ravel, to the Conduct Detrimental Podcast. Welcome, Darren. Hello, Dan. It's good to be with you. 
So, uh, Dan, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Um, why don't you tell uh, our lovely audience uh, your background with Dan and, and how Dan ended up uh, on this podcast with absolutely no technical difficulties whatsoever. Darren, welcome to Conduct Detrimental. You and I go back a couple of years uh, to, I think, 2015. We met at the New York Supreme Court oral argument in the DraftKings FanDuel case where there was a motion for preliminary injunction. Uh, but our audience, I mean, I, I think the theme to this show is basically how to break into the business. Dan and I have had our own unique trajectories as to how we sort of found our niche in sports law. But you basically set the bar and, 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 and created an entire niche for sports business. How did you, how, can you can you tell us a little bit about your path uh, into, into the world of sports business and how you got to ESPN? Well, some of it just comes out of love, um, and some of it comes out of luck. So, or, I, or lust, but keep going. Or lust, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, lust. I, I, I did. I, I love sports from the time I was five years old, and I like to tell people I figured out before they did that I wasn't going to play professionally. Wasn't too good. Didn't have the genes, but I, I was obsessed with sports, and I wanted to work in sports, and you know. I like to say I started networking in middle school and uh, write, writing and doing my own publication and selling it for a dollar. And I knew I wanted to be a journalist, um, but I kind of fell in love with business writing, a business reporting my sophomore year at Northwestern. Um, I always say, you know, the USA Today, you know, you, you, the, the money section comes before the sports section. And uh, I was not skipping it. I was reading the, the business pages, the money section. And I loved it. And I also love sports. And, you know, if you look at Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates were bo both born in 1958, which allowed them to be in a, a library at the time where computers, a college library, first year that computers were in a college library was when they were freshmen in college. And uh, for me, it was kind of, uh, well, I, I went into college with uh, asking, do I really need email in 96 and coming out in 2000 in the dot-com boom, and also the track of sports business and what was going on. Sometime in 1992-93, SportsCenter started every time there would be a, a, a signing, uh, they would say, this person is making this amount of money. And, uh, you know, I, th I think as it got deeper, knowing your owner's capacity to spend, knowing everything about the business side of sports became more essential if you wanted to be a great fan. And I felt that. And I also felt that, you know, no one was talking to the people in business and they were more fascinating and more willing to talk than the athletes. So I had a sports business radio show for two years. It was, it was really kind of well received among the five people who listened. But it was really about the, the Rolodex that I gained over time and the love and, and really learning about the history of sports business. And ESPN came to campus and I basically said, you guys should do sports business and, and I'm your guy. And, you know, $40,000 later at 22, I was sitting on the set of Sports Center, and I was the ESPN sports business reporter that they didn't even know they needed. Very cool. So, you know, for those listening, we have uh, obviously a lot of uh, lawyers, a lot of uh, crossover with sports. Um, so it's kind of interesting to hear, Darren, you created and, you know, I'll, you don't have to say this. I, I feel this way that you created the sports business niche. Um, sports 
fandom isn't just about going to the game and getting drunk. There's also a, a very intelligent side behind it. So for you, you saw a niche, you just were interested in business, and you also happen to be a sports fan. Um, not so dissimilar to Dan and myself, sports mm -hmm. fans who just also happen to be lawyers and a lot of the people listening to this podcast. So, um, you know, Dan, Dan and I can tell you, we are not so those that are kind of, um, you know, trying to make their way and trying to make decisions between jobs. Um, when you made the decision, you kind of just dropped a little footnote in there that you were paid 40000 for ESPN. Um, tell us a little bit about that decision and, and really kind of your long-term trajectory. Because I imagine now, Darren, uh, I'm looking at your uh, fantastic closet, which people will know from Instagram. That is not a $40,000 a year uh, salary. No. That is much more than that. So kind of tell us um, your trajectory at ESPN and, and how um, you really got to the Action Network now, which is, you know, really um, – a really a treat to follow all over ESPN, uh, all over Instagram, all over, all over Twitter. Well, uh, I would say that my only other, so my other job offer was with one-on-one -on -one sports, which was um, uh, what became, God, I don't, sporting news radio um, to be a host uh, in Chicago. Um, and it would pay me better. And they tried to convince me that, you know, it seems nice and ESPN is going to offer me all this, but I'm not going to get to do what they say I'm going to get to do. And, you know, that I, I took the chance because it was my dream job from day one. Um, and I got to do just really tremendous things. And, you know, over six years, it was amazing. It was a huge time for ESPN. It really started to grow. They were building buildings out of the ground like you wouldn't believe. And uh, six years in, I just I kind of felt like I was still being treated as the young kid um, and getting, you know, three to 5% raises. And I, I did what, what people said you, you should never do, which is leave ESPN because you're never going to get back. And it's you saying that you're bigger than ESPN. And so that was the risk at hand, right? That was, that was a big moment in my life. I was 27 years old and uh, I told ESPN I wasn't coming back. Um, got in a fight with uh, Dylan Radigan on air at CNBC and the CNBC guys were talking about curling and he was being ridiculous about the potential of it. And uh, CNBC just loved it. And they said, we need someone to, you know, we have a problem in that the, the stockbrokers and people involved in the business aren't pumping up the volume. They're just listening to us and watching the screen. And we think you're someone who could get the volume up. And so I, I, you know, 2006, I did leave. Um, and I think, uh, you know, one of the reasons why my career, you know, again, hit the perfect time, and I feel very fortunate, is, you know, Twitter came around, at least to me in 2009. And anyone who had lost me or lost track of me, reunited with me. Uh, and I was able to, it didn't matter, at that time, it didn't matter where I, I had gone. Um, and, uh, you know, by 2012, um, I, I like to say I kicked the ESPN's butt so bad, you know, that they wanted to stop saying CNBC reporting that they hired me back. Um, I had no ego about that. Uh, I, I did not, you know, there was nothing like, see, I told you I was, you know, there's no ego about it. I love to come back. It was working for very much the same people and also some new people who had moved around. John Kozner was all was always the GM. He, he from the day I left, he never wanted me to leave. He was trying to get me back. And Chad Millman, who's now the head of content at the Action Network, was the editor in chief. And I love these guys. And uh, I definitely came back with newfound respect. Um, and I wasn't the boy anymore. 
And, uh, you know, so I went from being the, the nerd at the sports network to the cool guy at the business network, back to the nerd at the sports network. And, but, but it, but it was great. And, uh, and then came the time, you know, another six years where I, I felt like, uh, gambling was at a point where I was writing 20 stories, 40 stories, 60 stories about gambling. And I said to myself, I'm sitting in New Jersey, which the luck of it has it that I'm in Vegas East. Uh, there's not many times you say I'm fortunate to be in New Jersey, including the taxes, but, but that definitely uh, rung true. And uh, I, after uh, the, the, the PASPA ruling, um, by the way, I'll, I'll say, because I know that Wallach has an affinity for sports gambling and he's great with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Dan, I went to, uh, I went to Monmouth uh, six times with ESPN to, uh, to, to reveal uh, whether the uh, Supreme Court would take on the case. And, you know, they open, you have to go to that crazy SCOTUS blog, which is like the worst. And there's people talking. There's like, I'm like, are you official or are you not? And the people who are commenting are weaving in with the people who are official. Like, oh my God, I think it's two boxes. It's one box. That means it's one. Like, it, it is, it is the, for, for, for the top of the lawyer chain, let's say, right? The Supreme Court. It was the biggest joke in the world that that's where I had to learn everything. Anyway, I had gone to Monmouth like five or six times and driven home. And then, of course, I'm in Cabo San Lucas or Turks and Caicos at, at Club Nickelodeon. And, and I'm sitting down for breakfast on day five of my vacation and I open my computer and I'm like, watch this, here it comes. And there it came. And I told my wife, I'm out. And I had to sit in my hotel the whole time. But I knew that with that, you know, I would definitely, I already knew I would definitely be getting into sports gambling exclusively. The Action Network was the place for me in terms of, it did not take bets itself. So I could, you know, uphold my integrity in journalism. Uh, it was a data-based site um, and was media-rich and I think was very smart about how they dealt with things. And uh, rest is history. Joined the Action Network in December of 18 and haven't looked back. Darren, uh, you're bringing me back to the days of uh, following SCOTUS blog and so many, you know, false starts. And I think, I think the uh, the order came out like right, you know, right near the end, or I guess the middle of May. So many of us were expecting it earlier because it was a six month gap from the oral argument to the actual decision. But you know, as somebody who went to all of the court hearings, I went to the Supreme Court, you know, hearing all the Third Circuit cases. I went to Trenton three times. I mean, that was my life for like five or six years. At what point did you say, you know, I want to get on this sports? I know you were writing a lot of articles, but at what point were you looking to leave? Because you were at the pinnacle of the profession. You know, you still are, but you were the, you were the sports business correspondent for ESPN. And then ABC, why take a chance? Why leave when you had that you had your dream job? Yeah, I I I guess um, you know for me, I do a lot of entrepreneurial things. Um, as long as I was with ESPN, I wouldn't be able to do have the freedom of doing things that 
that I can do now, um, you know, owning some pieces of companies and other things. So it really was the greater opportunity. Um, I also thought that, you know, just gambling had such heat. And believe it or not, I worried about my job because I, in the future, for another contract at ESPN, even though I had eight months left, because I wasn't automatically tied to revenue. You know, I might have been the sports business reporter, but if I go work for a gambling organization and I am the face of a gambling organization, I am tied to gambling media and revenue and subscribers. And I just felt like, for me, the risk was actually staying at ESPN, um, not leaving to go to an upstart. Because the upstart already had Chad Millman there, already had a bunch of ESPN guys, had one of my editors from ESPN there. So I knew that they could handle it editorially. Um, and so Chad was the one who took the risk, who left in 2017 from ESPN to the Action Network, when who knows whether the Supreme Court would have taken the case or had the interpretation that they had. So I felt like I, it would be a risk for me to stay at ESPN, to be honest with you, Dan. Yeah, you should have talked to me back in December of 2017. I would have told you exactly how the ruling would have come out. You wouldn't have had to go to Monmouth Park <laughs> six times on behalf of ESPN. You could have just taken that job off for six months earlier. But anyway, you're there. So can you tell us and tell our audience a little bit about the work you do with the Action Network and tell us exactly what the Action Network is, what their, uh, I guess, monetization model is, what verticals sure. they're in. If you're not taking bets... What's, yeah. the, what's the, you know, the, the business model of the Action Network? What exactly do they do? So, so we are a subscriber-based model and an affiliate model. So we are registered in many states as an affiliate, which means that you know, we can put out promotions. And if a sports book gets a new customer from us, we make money off it. We also make money. Our, our primary revenue is through subscribers. Um, our app is free to download, but if you really want the benefits of uh, pick tracking, for example, you know, a lot of people, one of the reasons why they lose money gambling is because they don't keep track of their bets. You know, when you see what you've won or what you've lost um, and you can get that analyzed and analyze why you've made mistakes. So you can track your bets. Um, in fact, we even have a patent pending product called BetSync, where you can bet at a sports book and it will automatically sync it into our tracker. So I don't watch games anymore. Sometimes I'm watching our tracker and you can see what your wallet looks like in the moment. Now that's, that's one step on the tracker. The other thing we do is we make you a better better for a little bit more money we have a premium product that allows you to be a quant. So let's say you have a system or a belief of, that will define a system. You write your system and we tell you how good it is. So for example, if you have a theory that bookmakers don't account for service academies when they play each other because they both run the triple option and they, it, there's no surprises, that they, don't, they account for that wrong and the under is going to hit more than the over, you punch that in. We tell you in the past 25 years what percentage of the time the under is hit. 
And if any of your theorems come out to be greater than 56%, you, 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 you might have something there. And then you can run that program for the week. So if Army's playing Navy, or let's say it's, you know, if the wind blows 25 miles per hour, you also like the under. We'll tell you the games where the wind is going to blow 25 miles per hour. So it allows you to be a better, better. Now, what I do is I come up with the stories that allow people to click on the action network, whether it's a big bet that came through, whether it's, uh, you know, I, I basically uh, am the guy who brings the masses to the action network and that's my job. Um, so, and I'm also kind of the character from the promotion standpoint uh, with points bet. We did a fade Ravel promotion. We're probably going to do that again, where you can fade me. And, and if I lose, I have to do something incredibly stupid. Uh, it's scary that I'm going to have to do that, give up my body for another year, but I'll do anything for money. So I think, um, you know, actually that was probably half my questions. Uh, you know, uh, Darren, for those that don't follow Darren, uh, on Twitter and Instagram, uh, you know, Darren and I were talking about this offline. Darren has very different contact, you know, con um, content for Twitter and Instagram. Totally different, Dan. Yeah, it is. And, and, um, you know, you, you were on Twitter since I think you said 2012, you know, really since the advent of Twitter, but Instagram really since last year, about a year ago? Uh, I think I'm two years now, I think. So, you know, it's, um, I, I think this is kind of where, where Dan and I really, why we wanted to have you. You have such an interesting path because, you know, you, you really blazed a literal trail in sports business. Um, you know, you and maybe a handful of others, I know our mutual friend Alan Snell as well, just kind of created yeah. this path uh, out of absolutely nowhere. So, um, you know, I, I would say that, to guys like Alan, you know, before me, there were people, Alan was one of those guys that was covering like the concrete beat. So there was, there was a city reporter that went as the stadium boom happened in the late nineties. And this definitely allowed me to come to the forefront um, was Angelo Bruscus of the Seattle post intelligencer and, and Dick Alm of the Dallas morning news and Alan Snell of the Tampa Bay times, you know, those guys, were, were, were my forefathers. And while they didn't really do much national stuff, if they weren't there, I don't know if I would have been there. Um, so so for, for, you know, just, just to kind of come full circle, you kind of, even though you're in an adjacent lane of sports business, you're blazing a trail for someone like, you know, Dan W. Uh, and then Dan is blazing a trail for someone like myself. So I think what we, why I, we definitely wanted to have you in here, Darren, whether, whether you know it or not, your social media We'll say strategy is very different than most people. You drop into your own replies more than most people do. You you fight back the trolls. Um, you know, I watch, I follow you on Instagram. Very different content. You're digging up stuff from your closet that must be like 30 years old that you've saved tickets uh, and merchandise and you know embarrassing pictures of you in high school. And you yep. have the same. You're throwing stuff up there. You know, playing with your kids in the basement. So I, I think what what I'd like you know because I we have Dan and I have uh, law students pre-law students that drop into our DMs and they say, how do we become what you're doing? Um, so, you know, Darren, I will give you the floor. If you were giving advice to yourself, you know, as a, as a 16 year old or, or your kids when they, when they reach that age, what would you be telling them how they should be laying the pieces uh, of that kind of, you know, the beginning of a media career, um, you know, sports business, sports law, how they should get started now? Well, I, I think it's doing what you guys have done. Like, you know, Dan Wallach is obsessional on 
uh, covering everything and being there. And he's been there more than ever, anyone. And so that's how he gets his, you know, or, and, and, and he'll get to Pacer before anyone, you know? So, so to his credit, that's what he's done. I mean, I, I have had a lot more things to look and, and by the way, that that's why he slays because, you know, he stays in that lane and, 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 and he knows what he's doing. You, after, you know, we did our whole Kevin Durant story, you know, you stayed on top of it and keep writing and, you know, you build your brand by, people expecting you to be there when something happens so you know i mean i don't i gave up a lot to do what i do um you know when i was at northwestern i was razor focused and i you know didn't live the party life and that was a choice that i made um i would say that you know figure out the cross between what you love and uh what is enough for people, you know, like you, you have to just try to find a niche that's niche that you could slip into, but is also mass enough. That, 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 that's what I would say that's, you know, and, and, but it is important to love what you do. And especially in a, in an area where you always hear that lawyers are miserable. Um, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it's so important to love what you do because, it's a cliche, but I've never worked a goddamn day in my life. So Dan and I, uh, in addition to uh, being Dan's, obviously both great first names, we have a, a very weird shared passion of professional wrestling. And in that business, Dan, Darren, they say, uh, you got to be different to get over. Um, and I think, um, uh, as they've once said about the great J.R. Smith, shooters have to shoot. Um, you know, uh, Darren, the, the backstory to you and I. I wrote this Durant article. Um, I, I kept getting feedback from people in my circles that it was good. They kept saying, you got to get Darren Ravel. You just got to get it to him. Um, so I hunted you down, uh, probably pseudo aggressively, but you know, the content spoke for itself. So, Hey, if you, if you, that's another piece of advice. If you're worried about how you're going to be perceived, you're not pumping your brand enough. You know, shooters got to shoot. As Michael Scott says, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Um, so let me, let me turn it over to, um, to Dan W. Um, Dan, uh, I, I know we, we've, we've got Darren. We don't want to keep him so long. We got a, we got a couple things on the list. Where, where do you want to take him here? We got, we got a smart man on the line. Yeah, I mean, we've got a show called Conduct Detrimental. I'd like to get into contract detrimental with uh, Under Armour, UCLA, Cal. Uh, Darren, you've been all over the issue of like sponsorships and college sports, and you wrote a very searing piece about the uh, about Under Armour's attempts to terminate its deal with UCLA and Cal, and you were quite critical of Under Armour's efforts to weasel out of uh, its contractual obligations. What do you know about, uh, about what Under Armour is claiming and you know, what's the backdrop to all of this? Is this just they're trying to you know, you know, save costs and, and come up with a, uh, a sort of a, a, a manufactured claim or is there some legitimacy behind their termination uh, you know, claim? I mean, there's no legitimacy, nothing. Um, I would say that uh, people are, you could already look at Under Armour and how badly they were doing and that how they did get out of the baseball deal, not from force majeure, any sort of mechanism or any sort of loss or anything other than they told baseball they didn't have the money to make the deal that they already made. And Nike was there to save the day. And I don't think there was uh, any sort of breakup fee or anything like that. But that's just, you know, if you look at, I don't know if there's a legal uh, word for it, 
but there, there, it, there's prior uh, relevance with, with what they had done before, not connecting it to any sort of contract. They just couldn't pay. And so it therefore follows that as they get worse, as their business gets worse, which is well accounted for in their earnings, uh, that they have to cut other costs. Now, um, you know, uh, the, the fact that there might be force majeure in the Cal contract and there's not in others and maybe that's why they went after it. I mean, and, and the fact that, you know, 120 days after or whatever, 60 days after, and that's when they filed it and that's in line with force majeure. First of all, I think that we're still unraveling whether, whether the pandemic is an event of God. Uh, um, and so that's one, and I think there's probably going to be some, some ruling there and what type of general ruling will it be? Um, but, but I gotta say, I think it's pretty hard to claim in general, and I know law isn't always common sense, but in a common sense way, it's pretty hard to claim that UCLA and, and Cal have not, and UCLA is the bigger deal, not Cal, of course, I made that mistake, but that those guys have, that Under Armour has paid them for services that they didn't render because of the pandemic. I mean, that's the most ridiculous thing. Well, where's the claims, did Notre, they paid Notre Dame too? They paid all, Northwestern too? What, how, how can you not claim it against everyone? And I think, I mean, I feel like that's real common sense and I don't know if it applies to law, but it doesn't seem to make sense to me that you can, that you can say that. And here's the other thing. What have you really lost? On March 12th, the, the sports world shut down. Uh, what, did, what did Cal have? Nothing. They had one game. They were gonna lose in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament. That's one game. What did UCLA have? If they, if they got to game two of the Pac-12 tournament, they would have made the NCAA tournament. So I would say they had a maximum of probably four games left, okay? There's nothing else in the calendar where they would derive any value. Time does not equal value. 90% of the contract is for football, which hasn't even started. So to sever the deal saying that you had an ongoing check and you were timely but they didn't deliver to me just just fails every aspect of at least common sense well you know notably this you know termination uh, letter or the, or, the, or the news you know leaked out about two weeks ago and as of today there hasn't been any lawsuit filed no bankruptcy but you know the stock price you know, continues to plummet. And then right after the, you know, the news broke about, uh, you know, seeking a, an out under all these deals, you know, the stock price rose a little bit. So how much of this do you think might be a real, you know, beginning to a legal battle or just something for public consumption to stabilize the stock price? Do you think that could be, that could have been part of the motivation? All I'm saying is I wrote that story the day the stock price jumped and it was like, are you guys serious? Like, are you, do, do you really think as an investor that this is going to hold? It meant that Wall Street believed that they thought Under Armour was going to get out of this. 
And, you know, the, the deal was fool's gold to begin with. They thought that by getting Cal and UCLA, they would build the West of the U.S. and their business around it. And it's not, that's not really how it works. So, you know, I think it was foolish from day one. And uh, I, I don't see how they're going to win either of these cases. Um, because, 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 and, and you, I guess you could say, well, if force majeure is in the UCLA contract and not in the others, then maybe they can win it. Maybe, but again, then it's going to depend on what the general interpretation is of force majeure or whether the actual language as to what qualifies for force majeure is in that contract. Okay, Darren, you also broke the story. There's an interest, interesting wrinkle about the Cal deal uh, before we move on to another topic. <laughs> that contract was, in, was never signed. Was never signed. So <laughs> what I was told, That's you know, and there's been, there's been coaching deals that have never been signed, and the guy's been there for three years. Now, obviously, the, the deal in principle – I don't. What do you? What's the legal term when you live out a deal even though you didn't sign it? Partial performance. Partial performance uh, is sort of operates as proof of the existence right. of the contract. Right. So that. So so clearly they had operated under the contract. Things were paid in the way the contract specified, but they never signed it. And um, I mean, obviously, that's a. <laughs> That, that's a detail that as you're trying to wiggle out of something, that's why someone speculated to me that if UCLA had the force majeure, even if Cal didn't, that was the contract that was never signed. So they felt like that was the next best contract to try to cut. And uh, man, I, don't, I, I know that when things that haven't been signed, coaching contracts, because sometimes coaches get fired and their deals have not been signed, it almost always winds up in a settlement. And maybe Under Armour believed that because it wasn't signed, that they would at least get some sort of discount to what they owe. So I think that that kind of brings up a good point. Um, you know, we're, we're in a world, Darren, where, where we have probably more questions than answers, right? First of all, uh, behind the scenes, right? You know this better than most on the sports business side, especially just with contracts aren't signed. You'd think with so many high-profile, you know, high-powered lawyers, you'd sign a contract at the end of the day, something as easy as that. Um, you know, Dan and I have been reporting on the Zion Williamson case and the DeAndre Baker case. There's a lot of just lawyers' mistakes behind the scenes that nobody really picks up on. So that's just kind of a value to having someone like you and, and us just kind of, you know, just kind of reading in what's going on behind the scenes. So, you know, that being said, Something that has been playing out behind the scenes and is now very much in the public sphere uh, is this kind of, we'll call it an uncomfortable battle with this, the Washington Redskins, the Atlanta Braves, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Cleveland Indians, you know, um, even, even going up north to the Edmonton Eskimos. Um, we're in a time now just with the, the kind of, you know, call it like it is the cancel culture we're in, where hundreds of years worth of team history uh, and sometimes for good reasons are, are, you know, being wound back. We're seeing in the college level and the pro level um, on the kind of sports business end. Cause I'm, I'm always curious in this, I guess we can just narrow in on Washington and then, you know, we can take it from there. What, what's the value of a name, right? What's in a name? What is the financial reason that's holding some of these teams back from really just doing the obvious? So with Dan Snyder, I don't think it's anything financial. It's just pride. 
It's just that he bought the Washington Redskins and he wants to own the Washington Redskins and he's dug in his heels and he does not want to lose. That's it. It doesn't even have to do with the Washington Redskins anymore. It has to do with no one's going to tell him what he, what he should do. We if know- you know Dan Snyder and you know what he's like and you know people who have worked for him and have left him, most of them fired by two lawyers instead of him, uh, you know, that's, that's what he's like. So I don't even think it's about the Redskins because when you think about merchandise split 31 ways, every team, but the Dallas Cowboys, you don't suffer if somehow you're, you know, people aren't buying enough stuff. What really suffers is you losing. That's why that waiting list went puff. If they were the Washington Hujumajiggies and they, and they went to the Super Bowl, you know, forget about it. I mean, they, you think they would suffer. So, so if, even if they had the worst name, you know, people know what a heritage is and people like people just because, you know, Chris Mullen played for the St. John's Redmen, you know, I mean, and now they're the, the, the storm, like who, no one cares. So, so I think it's just Daniel Snyder being rigid. And the fact that the four minority partners want to leave suggests to me that he's told them he's going to stand on his head until something happens. Um, and it's funny because there is precedence in that in 1962, uh, George Preston Marshall was the last person to integrate the NFL, uh, last team to have a black player. And he only did it because they wouldn't let him play uh, in um, – wherever it was, uh, JFK Stadium, um, because it was on federal land if he didn't have an African-American. It's kind of, is the same thing going to be forced? So I, I've gotten, uh, and I know Dan has as well, you know, when we do these different radio hits, people say, what's the legal reason that the Redskins aren't changing their name? And I said, well, if anybody watched the South Park episode years ago, the legal reason was losing the trademark. And even during that brief battle where they had lost the, the trademark rights, um, the Redskins still didn't change their name. So that would have been the time to have done it. Um, money talks at the end of the day. And if you're having a movement, you know, Darren, with uh, sponsors believing the Washington Redskins, potentially the Indians and going down that line, um, there is no legal. I mean, these are private entities at the end of the day. Dan Snyder is going to do what he wants. The, if there was any legal reason, it's losing trademark protection. Um, you know, just in the world we live in, I mean, you know, t- tomorrow could be a very different world. We never know. At this, t- this time in 2020, and that you can expect the unexpected. But do you see this movement? I mean, the Indians, I know Terry Francona has made a statement that he wants the name to be changed to Cleveland Indians. Um, the Washington Redskins, do you see this just kind of taking over sports? I mean, I saw a list the other day passing around on Instagram that was the Chicago Blackhawks, the Golden State Warriors, the Kansas City Chiefs. If you had any tangential tie-in to a Native American team, there is a movement that wants to get rid of all of them. Do you, do you see that becoming reality? It could be. I mean, listen, we've, we've gotten rid of Chief, Chief, Chief Wahoo, but then we really haven't. If you look, I mean, yeah, it's off the field, but you could still buy it. I mean, you could still buy the old Braves logo, um, you know, with the, the, you know, the scalpum kind of look, the Hank Aaron type Braves logo. Um, I, I, I do believe that, I don't like when the media, when the, when, when the people become the mob for reasons that are beyond common sense. Uh, but I do think that, um, you know, cancel culture does have some positives. And I'm not going, uh, you know, I am for taking down uh, Confederate 
statues, Confederate flags, because there's nothing to me, you know, uh, as a Jewish man, as a, like, you can't say that taking down like Nazi things at some point, one by one, uh, doesn't have some sort of impact. So I, so if it has impact to, uh, end racism, um, ethnocentrism, whatever, uh, then, then I'm all for it. And I don't think there's big differences. Uh, I do think the pressure is now going to be on the teams because people are fishing for other trademarks. And now, now guys are ahead of them. And, you know, now, now there's going to be a, maybe you won't have the best name because you'll be third in line in what, in the name that you want. So in a way that, that could make it difficult. Yeah, Darren, about the trademark issue, I noticed that there are a number of uh, trademarks that are registered uh, to LLCs that claim the Washington Federals, and of mm -hmm. course, there's the Washington Generals, you know, the Harlem Globetrotters opponent. Even if there are names that are taken, could it be possible for the Redskins to maybe just buy one of those names or to litigate over the issue of whether that person is cyber squatting? It would seem to me that all the good names are taken. So, what path do you see the Redskins taking here, or the Washington? Wouldn't it be awesome if the if the U, if the person who had the USFL Washington Federals like still owned that, like uh, you know uh, that 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 would be cool. So besides the one dollar, which turned into treble damages, three dollars and seventy six cents with interest. Monthly litigation with Donald Trump there. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And uh, by the way, I'm I I, I I'm on. Uh, we're on Zoom right now, and Dan Walla can't see me, but Dan Lust can see me, and I'm going to just show you how much memorabilia I have. I am holding up the first oh. the first ticket. This is the first game in the USFL played at RFK Stadium, the Washington Federals against the Chicago Blitz. What a beautiful ticket. See, for anyone listening to this podcast, you could be making this up entirely, but I can vouch for you. This is a blue check verified. I mm -hmm. am looking at it. And I knew there was a reason you were saying Washington Federals. You had this nice little smirk on your face. Very cool. Right there, ready to go. I also own the first ticket. I know this is a detour, but I love memorabilia so much. I also have the, uh, the generals against the New York, New Jersey generals against the uh, Birmingham Stallions in 1984, which was Donald. I have a ticket to Donald Trump's first game as owner. Very cool. So yes, they could. Long, long answer is yes. They 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 could buy. Uh, they could buy someone else. And but again, Daniel Dan Snyder might sell the team before he he gives in. Dan Snyder's in the lowest the lowest tier of Dan's. I mean, it's really Dan Wallach, Dan Lust, Dan Patrick, and then Dan Snyder is somewhere up. Off, off the radar. Um, Dan, Dan W., I will, uh, I will turn it over to you. Um, we you shouldn't, shouldn't this show be called Con... Uh, like, you should use something with Dan in it, like... Con Dan Detrimental? Con, 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 conduct Dantrimental. Trademark. We just trademarked it right now. Yeah, our, our friend Darren Heitner just did it for us. I got him. Is that true or no? No, it's not true. Darren Heitner helped me trademark McDowell's. Um, well, we're going to have to release the, uh, hold this podcast back so we can get our friend Darren on the phone. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Dan W., you want to send us home? We don't, we, we yeah, pulled yeah, down sure. and we didn't keep him. I want to turn to COVID-19, which has sort of been, uh, you know, the major story in sports over the last couple of months that has thrown the entire, you know, industry 
basically into a state of inaction with a lot of uncertainty. And this has impacted, obviously, not only, uh, you, you know, uh, labor negotiations and how much escrows are going to be taken from NFL players and NHL players, but team valuations have to have been taken a hit. How would you like to be in the position of the Wilpons having a deal in principle for $2.6 billion uh, to sell the team to Steve Cohen, how do you think the pandemic has impacted that sale and basically or generally the sales or valuations of, of, of other you know major teams that might be available? Is, is this something that is going to lead to a, a, a significant or at least a substantial decline in, in, in sales prices? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can't imagine the Mets are worth more than $2 billion. Uh, I think teams that have owners whose only source of income is the teams, uh, they, they will have lower values because people will know that they are, they are leveraged in that way. Uh, I think there's going to be a turnover of the biggest turnover we've ever seen. I think there's going to be 10 to 20 teams that will trade in the next two years. Um, and, uh, you know, it will, it will just be, uh, obviously, you know, in 80 days, the Wilpons lose that deal. Um, I don't think there's anything getting back there. I don't think it gets to two, 2 billion and, uh, maybe Steve Cohen wins that one too. I don't know. There's, there's some really good bidders in that, uh, market, including Mike Rapoli, who's actually a close friend of mine, uh, with A-Rod and J-Lo. I mean, I, I think the Mets, I mean, the Mets just want to get out. The question now is, will the Wilpons sell it for under two? Or or do they think they can still hang around? Remember, their primary business is real estate, and that's being hit too. So uh, I expect a big turnover in teams, and I expect the average franchise value in the last 80 days has dropped maybe 20% or more. Who are, or what are some of the teams that you think might be in play? When you say uh... – owners whose entire income comes from the you know revenue streams from their sports i'm thinking about the giants and the mara family might might the giants be one of those giants yeah i think the giants i think the i think the titans i think the raiders um you know there's there's a bunch of teams uh you know teams that you wouldn't think of you know the dolphins obviously stephen ross with with what he has i think the hunt family even the chiefs i mean you know that's their primary source of income um yeah there i mean there's there's a lot more in the nfl because of the business that it became than than other uh leagues um so i think we'll see nfl turnover maybe three to five teams so with that being said darren we've kept you a little longer than uh than we wanted to some technical difficulties we'll let you uh head out of here and uh you know um take care of the kids at, at camp Revel. Well, thank you guys. Uh, I am proud of what both of you have done. Um, you've, you've established your, your, your niche in your space. And, uh, and thank you, Dan, for, Dan, Dan Wallach. Thank you for all your uh, counsel and making sure that I know what's going on in every single state at all times. I don't, I don't love that part of the business, but I am responsible. As we get closer to the end of the year, I'll have a couple of uh, inside uh, baseball stuff for you on some other states. So we're going to continue to, you know, you know, caucus on some of the sports betting states. I think uh, I think there's going to be a lot of activity uh, beginning of 2021, and I'd be, I, I, you know, I am optimistic about states like New York and California. But we'll we'll talk about that at some future date. But I just really can't thank you enough. 
for gracing us with uh, your presence on our very special 50th uh, 50th episode, and we wanted like a, a like a, a top level guest, and one of my you're certainly one of my favorites in the business. Somebody I've looked up to, somebody that I'm proud to call a colleague and a friend. And when when I think of like my my uh, you know the, the people I, I I really want to try to you know emulate in terms of a you know their approach, people like you, Mike McCann, Gabe Delvin, and I'm really really proud uh, to call you a friend, and and I'm so grateful you're able to you know join us for this episode. It really was a lot of fun. This is this is a terrific episode, and I look forward to crossing paths with you many times down the road. And I'm I'm pretty certain we'll cross paths again within a few months. So thanks for devoting and and, and being so generous with your time tonight. Awesome. I'm glad you didn't say that I was on your Mount Rushmore since Mount Rushmore is controversial now. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you very much. You got it. Thanks, guys. Thank you for joining us. That's another episode of Conduct Detrimental in the Books. Again, a very special 50th episode. Uh, we want to thank uh, Darren Ravel, obviously. Um, also, Dan Worley for getting us through the first uh, 40 or so, maybe 30, 30 or so of these. Um, as always, you can follow Dan Wallach on Twitter and Instagram at Wallach Legal, myself, Dan Lust, Twitter, Instagram at Sports Law Lust, the podcast Conduct Detrimental at Con Detrimental. Um, and if you can, if it always helps in the ratings, if you could leave us a review, give us a, a rating on the podcast app, uh, that would be incredibly helpful. Um, just one final kind of programming note. Uh, I have a Zoom seminar with New York Law School scheduled for July 14th. It's a free event. It's on my pinned tweet. So all are free to attend. We would love to have you there. Talking sports, talking law. What else? Um, with that being said, uh, we will see you next week for another episode of Conduct Detrimental.